as soon as the injection went in to my skin the third time, it goes in through your arm, through an IV, I lit on fire. And I like to describe that feeling as a chicken that just came out of the deep fat fryer. And when I got out, I was like, there's something horribly wrong. And they're like, oh no, I don't see any rash. I don't see anything there. They said, drink lots of water, you'll be fine. It's no big deal. And so I took their advice, trusting the medical community, went home and, and did what they said, drink a lot of water. Well, that turned into weeks and months and trips to the ER in the middle of the night because I was in such excruciating pain. It was three months that I didn't eat solid foods. Three months, I lost 40 pounds. Three months, I was in excruciating pain. In May of 2018, the manufacturers came out with a letter and they said, we acknowledge that it is accumulative. We acknowledge that it is retained in everyone who's injected. And we acknowledge that it's retained in your brain, your bones, your tissue, and your organs. And that's a scary thing. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. When I first connected with Debbie Lambert about her experience with gadolinium toxicity, I had to Google gadolinium. When I read that gadolinium is a substance they inject you with when you get an MRI with contrast, and that it can cause toxicity, I immediately started to search my memory. I can recall at least one occasion of getting an MRI with contrast. I remember the warm sensation it caused in my body, and the technicians telling me to drink lots of water to flush the chemical out. After interviewing Debbie about her experiences living with the disabling chronic symptoms and learning the facts about gadolinium toxicity, like the black box warning the FDA now requires, and the admission of the manufacturers that gadolinium accumulates in the body, I'm shocked I'd never heard about this widespread problem in the medical industry. I guess that's a testament to the healthcare system's ability to hide, ignore, and deny medical errors. As Debbie recounts, she was experiencing severe pain and it was determined it was emanating from her pancreas. Debbie was sent for a routine MRI with contrast to be able to get a better image of her troubled pancreas. 
The MRI technician did not ask for Debbie's consent to be injected with gadolinium or inform Debbie about any potential harms from the invasive procedure. Debbie was just hooked up to an IV and the gadolinium started to flow into her veins. It was during Debbie's third MRI with contrast when things went horribly wrong and Debbie felt like she was being fried from the inside out. Debbie told the MR technician immediately, but Debbie's symptoms were dismissed and she was told to drink lots of water. But water wasn't going to cure the damage done to Debbie's organs. Water wasn't going to stop her pain. Water wasn't going to stop her from being disabled. Debbie shares what has helped, but not cured, her battle with gadolinium toxicity. And she shares about the community of survivors advocating and creating awareness about this problem so that others, like you and me, can make informed decisions about having this procedure. If you've had an MRI with contrast or are concerned about the potential harm from gadolinium toxicity, you'll want to hear what Debbie has learned about the medical system, the legal system, and your body's systems when they are exposed to this rare earth metal. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all of the other major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. If you need the support of an experienced counselor, especially around dealing with medical error or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here's my interview with Debbie Lambert about gadolinium toxicity and a reminder that some folks may be triggered by Debbie's experiences with the healthcare system. Great, thanks Debbie. So tell me, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up in Idaho um, and I'm a storyteller. I have a lot of stories to tell. Idaho is a great place to grow up and um, my family was really addicted to uh, trusting the medical community who did a lot of damage to three different generations of my family. So um, I'm actually, um, as a storyteller, I'm working on a series of books, um, but the one I'm focused on right now is this Living with Gadolidium. Lots of stories to share and tell. And for folks who, like me, were not aware of gadolinium, what is that? Gadolidium is a toxic rare earth metal. It's number 64. It's something that is injected as part of um, the MRI process. So if you if you're if you have an ailment and you go to the doctor and they say, well, we want to do an MRI and we're going to inject you with contrast, and they may or may not tell you that, but part of the process includes contrast. And the contrast was developed more than three decades ago, I think. It was developed to help doctors, radiologists see the images better. So it, it's, it's magnetic, gadolidium's paramagnetic, and so it attracts the magnets in the MRI machine when the MRI machine goes to the area. And so when they inject it and then 
Um, it just makes the images better. It shows up the, the veins, the vessels, the tissue, the soft tissue, and things like that to make the images better. That was really what it was designed for. Okay. Uh, so let's dovetail into your uh, healthcare experience and how your healthcare experience intersected with gadolinium. So in 2016, I was on my way to go on a business trip to Canada. I was uh, suffering some, I thought was heartburn. And so I went to the doctor and he's like, yeah, I'm sure it's probably just heartburn. No big deal. Let's run a couple of blood tests and um, see what happens. Go ahead and go on your trip. When you get back, we'll look and see if maybe you have a hiatal hernia or something and not to worry. But he ran the blood tests and I was scheduled to leave on Sunday. Well, Saturday I was having breakfast with a friend and I got a call and I said to my friend, well, I better take this call. It's my doctor. And he said, what are you doing right now? And I said, well, I'm having breakfast with a friend. And he said, well, don't take another bite. Get in your car and drive yourself immediately to the emergency room. And I was like, why? What's going on? I thought you said it was a high lady hernia or whatever. And he's like, no, it's not. You have pancreatitis and that's really dangerous and you need to be in the hospital immediately. So I'm kind of stubborn. I just said, you know, okay. So I told my friend, well, I guess I'm going to do this, but I'm going to go home and, you know, pack a bag and do these things and do a load of laundry and then I'll go to the hospital. And so I checked in and I was there five days hooked to IVs and that's what they do for the pancreas is they try to cool it off, let it heal, uh, taking away anything that you would eat by eat or sip by mouth. So not even an ice cube or an ice chip. Um, so I was there five days hooked to an IV and we cooled the pancreas down and things got better and I went back to work and that was good. And, and then I kept having these reoccurring pancreatic pancreatitis attacks. And so then of course they say, well, you have chronic pancreatitis. And, I don't know what that means and blah, blah, blah. So from 16 to 18, um, I kind of dealt with that. Went to the hospital multiple times, stayed there. It's very boring. You sit in a room by yourself and an IV drip and a pain, you know, pain management drip. And, and that's how they cure pancreatitis or they keep it under control. Um, in the meantime, they're looking at my pancreas with an MRI to see what's going on because it's a little tiny organ in the back hard to get to, hard to see. So they did an MRI to see it. And when they did that, um, they found I had pancreatitis divisium, which is when you're in vitro in your mother's stomach, you have two ducts, um, two pancreas ducts. They're, they merge together before you're born, but about 10% of the population, the, the ducts don't merge. And so that was lucky me, I had two still. So they had to go in, they put a stent in, they cut open the other one to make it bigger so that it would flow out better. In the meantime, I had my gallbladder taken out and just all kinds of things, you know, going on and tests and everything. So, but then the third injection, when I was in the hospital, the third injection, as soon as it entered my bloodstream, it lit me on fire. And I like to describe that feeling as a chicken that just came out of the deep fat fryer and everything was still sizzling. This was your third MRI with the contrast and you didn't react until this third time. Well, I think looking back, I've had a lot of time in retrospect um, and that's always a good thing. But looking back, I, had, I did have symptoms with every injection. I just wasn't aware. I had never heard of gadolinium. And, and even when I got injected, the three times I got injected, no one asked me for consent to inject my body. No one 
told me we're going to inject you with this. They said, we're going to put this dye in. It's no big deal. You just drink a lot of water. It goes out of your system in 24 to 48 hours and you'll be fine. And, and I was raised in a family who was really tied to the medical community and believed and trusted what they told us. So I was like, okay, well, looking back first, um, injection, I did have some symptoms, but I, I didn't know what they were. And they were more like electrical shocks. My body would if, if a fan came on in a room, my body would, would have these intense electrical shooting throughout my whole body. And I was like, what is that? And working with the doctor, my doctor's like, well, maybe, you know, it's your antidepressant or something. And I was like, okay. So, so we played around with that, but I still kept getting those. And then the second one, I got brain fog so bad, um, brain fog so bad that when I would go to meetings, I would type in notes at my meeting. I would save it on my computer, grab my computer, head to the next meeting. When I got to the next meeting, opened my computer, I couldn't find the file. Or I would go to an employee's desk and I would ask them questions. And, and then I'd go back to my desk to work on whatever they just told me. And I wouldn't remember what they told me. And my employees would say, I just gave you that information like three minutes ago. And I'd say, well, I'm back with a piece of paper now. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> Can you tell me again? And then, you know, I'd go back to my desk. So I came up with some really good coping tools for the, for the dementia um, and got by, you know, for quite some time. But then when the third injection hit and um, it lit me on fire, like that chicken I talked about, it was pretty much a done deal. I was not able to work. Um, I lost so uh, was the experience uh, immediate when they injected you the third time? Yes. As soon as the injection went in to my skin the third time, it goes in through your arm, through an IV. Um, I lit on fire immediately and I was in a panic. And when I got out, I was like, there's something horribly wrong. And they're like, oh no, I don't see any rash. I don't see anything I don't see anything physically. And I'm like, well, look at my back. Is there a rash on my back? It's really burning there. And, and that's kind of where the pancreas is, right? In the center there. And so I was like, well, maybe it's, you know, the pancreas burning or something. And so um, it was, yeah, it was quite a journey. So I left there. They said, drink lots of water. You'll be fine. It's no big deal. And so I took their advice, trusting the medical community, went home and and did what they said, drink a lot of water. Well, that turned into weeks and months and trips to the ER in the middle of the night because I was in such excruciating pain. And then- And those trips to the ER, how helpful were those folks? Oh, they're not. They, I mean, could, you know, not every doctor is bad and not all medical things are bad. And I don't ever want to portray that, that I'm think that way, but ER is really for triaging big things like heart attacks, pneumonia, things like that. And so, no, they, they weren't, they would, you know, do everything. They would run some tests and they would come back and they'd say, there's really nothing wrong with you. You just need to go home. So I was working with the pancreas doctor at the same time who put the stent in and it was interesting because um, I started to question it and I'd seen an ad about Gina Norris, but I hadn't really connected any dots and Gina Norris um, was probably the first one to go really vocal about gadolinium toxicity. And she was, um, she and her husband spent about, they say over $2 million. And she was treated in places like China and different places where 
They spent the money to get her healthy. They filed a lawsuit, blah, blah, blah. So there was a lot of activity starting up and ramping up about gadolinium at that point. Um, I hadn't connected the dots. I hadn't. And so I told my husband, I'm dying. Something's killing me. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm going to the cabin and I'm going to stay there until I figure this out. It was three months that I didn't eat solid foods. Um, three months, I lost 40 pounds. Um, three months, I was in excruciating pain and had no idea. And then my neighbor in Donley, um, she was she has a PhD. She's since passed, um, but she had a PhD. And she happened to have been Chuck and Gina Norris's nanny when the twins were born, like 20 years ago or 18 years ago. And so she's like, you know, this this seems kind of funny, but maybe, maybe it's gadolinium and maybe it's the MRI. And so started researching it. And then I went to my, called my doctor in town and said, I want you to run this test. And he's like, no, I can't run it. I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, what, no. What was the test for? Um, it was to do a 24 hour urine test to look at how much you're, if you have gadolinium and you're excreting it and, you know, if it's in your body. And it kind of gives the urine test kind of just t tells you if you're have toxic levels. So I went, I called my doctor in town, which is two hours from the cabin. And I said, I need you to order this test. And he's like, Nope, not doing it. And at that point, because of the, I understand. And part of it, what my understanding is that um, part of it was because of the publicity of the Chuck and Gina Norris lawsuit that was filed. Um, there were thousands of people jumping on board, thousands and thousands of people jumping on board to that lawsuit and um, trying to get someone to pay attention to them because they were so sick, thousands of people sick and not knowing what's wrong and then going to the doctor and getting this urine test. So my doctor finally said, well, I won't do the test for you. I'll write the script. You'll have to take the script and find some lab to do it for you. So I did that. I took me about two weeks, but I found someone who would send the urine to the Mayo Clinic. And a couple weeks later, the test came back and the Mayo Clinic test said, yes, you're at 8.4. And that's pretty high. And that's unprovoked. So when we talk about gadolinium, we talk about provoked and unprovoked. And so unprovoked is before you put a chelation chemical in, which just induces the body to excrete more rapidly and quicker and push it out. So gadolinium is really a rare earth metal, but it's wrapped in a ligand. I think it's called a ligand. And that's a wrapper that is wrapped around the toxic metal um, to protect it. And what happens with toxicity is my understanding and the research I've done over the last two or three years is that the ligand separates from the gadolinium. And that's where the toxicity and the pain and the symptoms and all of that starts to happen is because it's then settling in your brain, in your bones, in your tissue, and in your organs. And as it settles there, you know, it's reacting differently. So I think it was in 2006, maybe 2007, gadolinium was first recognized for a disease called, uh, and I'm terrible at words, but uh, nephrogenic systemic fibrosis, NSF. And that was in 2006 that the first cases of NSF were really coming up. And, and that was with people who had kidney problems. And so that it became known and, and they said, well, yeah, if you have kidney problems, gadolinium could be a problem for you. Um, 
And it sure enough, it was. But what they didn't know at the time or they didn't acknowledge at the time was it affects people with normal kidneys. And so um, it wasn't until 2009 that that information became available that even people with normal kidney function would be impacted and could have symptoms and side effects. So when you found out from the Mayo Clinic that you were, had uh, pretty high levels of gadolinium still in your system, what were you thinking? Well, I was, part of me was, thank goodness, I know that I know what's killing me or what, what, what could kill me. And I was sure I was going to die, but then I still didn't have any answers. And I didn't personally know Gina. So, you know, she's been great. And she's, she's on my Facebook support groups and all of that. She's a wonderful human. And I'm so thankful to the nurses for raising probably the first real awareness to this. Yeah, you're still on your own as a gadolidium toxicity survivor. And, and the other term that is used out there in the community is GDD, which is um, gadolidium deposition disease. And that was really a term that was coined by Dr. Richard Selmalka. He's a chelation specialist. He's um, well renowned in the area of gadolidium toxicity. He's, he's written the protocols. He's come up with the chelation protocols that are used today. Um, he's done a lot of work and helped people a lot. Another doctor that I'm close with or you know, follow and do his work is uh, Dr. Brent uh, Wagner, and he's a kidney specialist. And so he's done a lot of work and he worked with a lot of NSF people, right? And so since he worked with the NSF people and then he, and then he was like, well, this isn't just people who have bad kidneys, this is people who have normal kidneys and we need another term. And so the thing about gadolidium is it's not covered by insurance. There's no cure, there's no antidote. Insurance covers nothing. So you're kind of on your own. So I didn't really know, even though I had the Mayo report back, I didn't really know what that meant or what the next steps were. So I just started reaching out to anyone and everyone and researching and still doing all the things I was doing while I was in the cabin. Found Dr. Samalka, found that there was tests. I did some research and that it popped up on one of the sites that there was this ongoing test happening. And I, I was like, I'm going to volunteer and be on that test because I'm going to like help figure this out. Oh, so like a research project. Yeah, research trial. Yes. So I, so I reached out and I signed up for the trial. And um, as it turned out, the trial was canceled. But m my doctor who had signed up to be part of the doctors that were participating in the trial, helping people with chelation. She's in Seattle and my family's from in lives in Seattle. And so it was a fit, right? And she's a neurologist. So I, I connected with her, called her, lots of phone calls, um, lots of gathering more data, more information. How does this work? Does it work? You know, and they, I appreciated their honesty. Um, they're from back East, most of them. And so they're very honest um, people and very, straight and forward they don't they don't sugarcoat anything and they're like we don't know if this will help we don't know if it'll work it's a trial you're welcome to do it but we can tell you that you're going to get really really sick you're going to get really really sick sicker than you are now you think you're sick now you're going to get a lot sicker but i was like okay i'll do it and so they asked me to sign up for three chelations which i did and that was part of the trial describe that process the chelation what what happens 
right now for gadolidium, there's really only two chelators that work. One is DTPA with calcium and zinc or EDTA. And I chose for the trial, they were using DTPA with calcium zinc. And it's a two-day back-to-back treatment. Um, it's an IV injection, takes about two hours. It's a drip. So kind of think of it like a chemo thing. You know, it's an IV drip. They hook you up and they, you just sit quietly and then you lay down for part of it and you have your arms down at your side. So it gets to all of your extremities and all of that and um, takes a couple hours. Then you're really sick. And, and I don't see the sickness as a terrible thing looking back. And I always promote it as such when I'm sharing my story and trying to help other people is like these flares and this sickness and how horrible you feel. That's all good because your body's working so hard to get well. So embrace that feeling, embrace that pain, embrace that uncomfortableness and, and just know that your body is saying, oh yeah, you're sick and I'm working really hard to get you well right now. That's how I kind of frame flares because it's scary at first. You, you don't know you, a lot of unknown. You're afraid you're going to die. It's in, they tell you, I mean, in 2018, May of 2018, the manufacturers came out with a letter and they said, um, we acknowledge that it is accumulative. We acknowledge that it is retained in everyone who is injected. And we acknowledge that it's retained in your brain, your bones, your tissue, and your organs. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary Whoa. thing. Wow, that so they admitted that, and it sounds like the way they uh, they framed it is that this is going to happen to everybody. Everybody will accumulate. It's going to be in everybody. Everybody has the the contrast. Is, do right. I understand that correctly? Yes, yes, it is. It does accumulate, and it is retained. What's not really known is, does everyone have symptoms? And so. There's over a half a billion injections that have been done today. And that's where, where my passion comes from and trying to raise awareness is I belong to lots of different Facebook support groups for fibromyalgia, for pancreatitis, for Parkinson's, for all these different diagnoses that people are getting but they're not connecting the dots. No, you know, a lot of times they're not connecting the dots because if you say to your doctor, I think it might be the gadolidium, your doctor will tell you, no, it's not, it's not. Sorry, it's not. They tell, you know, oh, just drink water. It's fine. You're fine. It's not. Um, and I understand that. I really do understand from a business perspective because I'm a business person and I manage multi-million dollar projects in my career. I get it when you inject half a billion people, you know, injections, not people, half a billion injections, and you don't have a cure and you don't have an antidote and you have people with symptoms and they're unexplained and they don't know what to do for those and you don't have anything to help them. Why would you admit it? Why, why would you possibly say, oh yeah, we, we injected this. So I think the manufacturers, you know, with their letter, that was a really brave thing that they did by acknowledging it but what they did say was we don't know what damage it does you know that's not known and then the struggle comes when you start to work with people like dr manny canal who is is the voice for mri mris and 
he teaches MRI safety, you know, he, he uh, has, a, I think, a conflict of interest. He's paid by the pharmaceutical companies that make the, make the contrast, um, you know, and that's public information. Anyone can look it up and see the millions of dollars that he's been paid. Um, I attended one of his seminars for MRI safety. He was kind enough to allow several of us um, who are gadolinium toxicity survivors to attend one of his seminars, which are for radiologists and techs, um, radiology techs and for radiologists themselves. And he teaches them about the safety and the pitfalls and the downsides and what happens if you're sued and you know all of those things. It's, it's a three-day course and it was so informative. I learned so much. And did he touch on the toxicity, but like what you've experienced? Yes, he actually gave um, a, a couple people who started a group early on, early on when gadolinium was first, you know, ramp, I don't want to say ramping up, but when it was first starting to show it that it, there was a problem, Sharon Williams and another guy, Hubs, they started a website called gadolidiumtoxicity.com. And there's several thousand people that belong to it. And so they were at this um, conference in Vegas and then myself and another doctor who has been injected. And then um, a friend of mine who's in Oklahoma City, she had been injected. And so we were all there and we held a Q&A with the people. And it was amazing how many techs and radiologists had never, ever heard that anyone has symptoms. None of, I mean, you, we held a Q&A and people are like, that's not true. That doesn't happen and we're like really well who are we we're like living the dream you know yeah so it was a it was an awareness for me about how much is unknown you know i like to think that everyone is doing their best in the world i believe in the good of people so um but it was hard that was a hard thing um, so did you say there was 500 million what was that number you used Half a billion. Half yeah. a billion done. And that's just in the US, I guess. No, that's worldwide. And that's worldwide. And I don't, I'm because of my dementia, I don't do good at throwing out dates. Um, but I think it was in 2017, 18 timeframe, there was um, an FDA hearing and several people I know and who I've met went to that hearing and they talked about it. And there was a doctor um, who was on the FDA board, and she spoke out about it and said, hey, we're not doing right by patients, and a life ruined is a life ruined. You know, they were talking about the black box warning, which is funny to me, black box warning. A lot of people go, what's a black box warning? I never heard of it. And until you're damaged by a medicine or a pharmaceutical drug, you probably would have no reason to know about a black box warning, right? But it's the strongest warning that the FDA can put on a pro on a drug product to say, be cautious. It's really about be cautious. So we're saying there are damage. We're acknowledging that people are telling us there are problems. So this FDA voting member, she said, a life ruined is a life ruined. And we just tell them to drink some water and that's not good enough. And, and we don't, you know, we're injecting people every day. Is that the right thing to be doing? And so she voted against what they were talking about at that dip, at that time. But the black box warning, in my mind, has a lot of loopholes. 
that only help the medical community and don't really do anything for patients other than it gives you a warning as a patient, you might wanna take a look at this, look at the side effects, whatever. Um, but the black box warning says you should, and the word should is the problem for me because you should get a medication guide. It doesn't say you have to get a medication guide. It says you should get a medication guide. So, okay, that, that works, right? But I didn't get a medication guide. No one even asked me if they could inject me. They just told me we're going to inject this dye. It's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And half a billion injections later, and we're still doing it. And so to your question, worldwide, it's over half a billion injections. About that same time in the 2017 timeframe, I think, is when Europe, most of Europe, um, the UK, um, Japan, and several other countries said, oh, this isn't good. We're seeing awareness and due to patient safety reasons, we're going to pull gadolidium off the market for these certain brands. So what you need to understand is gadolidium is, there's macro cyclical um, gadolidium and then there's linear. And then inside those two categories, there's like four different brands made by different manufacturers under each of those categories. So there's, I think a total of eight. So Europe and the other countries at that point said, well, until we know more for patient safety reasons, we're going to eliminate the use of these and we're only going to allow gadolidium to be used for certain instances. Unfortunately, in the United States with the FDA, their approach was, well, we'll put a black box warning out and we'll just go ahead and let it continue to be used. Since then, it's even been approved for more usage for breast, now for breast um, cancer, uh, people who are getting breast cancer for babies. I mean, there's a whole uh, baby thing that just blew up and it, I don't know how many babies, but a, a study done with babies and how they were impacted. And we know it's, you know, we know it's, um, it's toxic. We know it causes problems. So it doesn't sound like the industry is very interested in finding how many people are affected. Do you have any idea what percent of folks I like to, you know, and it's, you can make numbers. I, I'm a business person and I know numbers. You can make numbers prove anything. You know, you can spin the numbers to mean lots of different things, but I chose 3% is what I say. I'm like, if 3% of the population that's been injected, 3% of a half a billion people, that's 15 million people that are wandering around with some kind of side effect or symptom and haven't connected the dots and or have been shamed, called crazy, dismissed by their doctor, or given a different diagnosis, right? So I got the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, and fibromyalgia has a lot of the same symptoms that gadolidium does. And, and I was coached, I was coached, I use that word, I was coached that that's good, Debbie, you have a diagnosis, and so now insurance will cover, you know, your pharmaceutical medicine that you're being given, like gabapentin and Cymbalta and all those things to help you manage the pain. Why they can't help you fix it, but my fibromyalgia, they know about it and they know, you know, they know how to help manage the pain. So that's a good thing. And I'm like, uh, no, that's a, that's, that's a band-aid. If anything, at best, that's a band-aid. So yeah, I, I feel for the people who are out there that don't know. And that's my, that's my, 
my passion in driving awareness is we need to be asking more critical questions and you you may be sick and you may be sick for things that you haven't connected the dots for yet and one of those could be gadolinium and so i talk to lots of people i mean and lots of us, lots of us talk to people. It's not just me. I mean, as I said, it, this isn't a story about me. This is a story about hundreds of thousands, if not millions. If you figure it's 3% and that's 15 million people, that's a lot of people. Even at 1%, that's what, 5 million people? So that's a lot of people that are suffering and don't know why and or have a different diagnosis either totally ignored or dismissed or misdiagnosed. And as you say, if you get a diagnosis with fibromyalgia, then they're going to say, start taking these pain meds. And that's a whole rabbit hole in and of itself. Right. When I was having the pancreatitis and I was in the pain and I was like this chicken on fire, right? I said to the pancreatitis doctor, I said, do you think it could be the gadolidium? And they're like, maybe. But you know, we really don't know and we really can't do anything to help you anymore because we feel like we've done everything to fix your pancreatitis with the stent and cutting it open and making it drain better and blah, blah, blah. We understand you're in pain. Here's some more pain pills. So here we are. This is about the same time that the oxycodone crisis hit in our country, right? And they're prescribing it. They're like giving it to me like candy. Just take more oxycodone. Just, you know, you just take it. It'll help with the pain. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you have gadolidium poisoning, one of the key things that, that you will recognize early on is there is not a pain medicine on the market that will help you with your pain. There is just not. And so, so that's I don't a good clue for somebody who's been given a fibro diagnosis, but they still have the pain and they've had... The, the contrast, the gadolinium. So when did you find out and start trying the chelation and how effective, if at all, has that been for you? Um, the chelation, I think is a lifesaver. I'm a huge proponent that you should chelate and get it out. It's, it's a toxic rare earth metal. It's not found in the human any other way unless it's injected in you. And that's not really true anymore because with a half a billion injections, now it's in our water supply. So a recent study in Germany that was done at um, six restaurant locations, they found that it gadolidium was in all the water-based cola products that those restaurants served. And so how does it get in the water? Well, it gets in the water because you inject it in a half a billion people who urinate every day multiple times a day right <laughs> and so it's getting in the water supplies and and they tested over in san francisco or in the bay area i think uh they did some running tests on the water there near the lucille packard hospital children's hospital and it was in the water there so it it, it is going to it is impacting our environment and with so many people injected and urinating and getting in the water it's only going to get more right because we're still using it in the united states so i don't know what the impact will be the long-term impact and will and they say well that it doesn't really matter that it's in the water it's such small minute amounts it's not like when you drink the water you're going to get sick from it and i'm like well i guess we won't know that until we have time and we test and you know all those things and I think that's the thing about the awareness and the thing that's hard on survivors is that 
no one wants to talk to us. No one. And I'm passionate about that, but we beg the FDA. We call the FDA every day. We, you know, people write letters. We reach out to the president. We reach out to the press secretary. We reach out to the media. We say, someone, please talk to us. We're survivors. We are experts. We, and we're experts in how we feel and how our bodies are changing and, and the symptoms, right? No one wants to talk to us. No one. So Full Measure, Cheryl from Full Measure, she did two different interviews with the Norris family. And, um, and I applaud her for that. Um, but it's not enough. It's not. So. Wow, this is just quite frightening, Debbie, to learn, you know, all of the stuff around the MRI and how it can impact you, because it's hard to think of anybody who hasn't had at least one MRI, although with contrast, I guess that's the important. Yeah, the contrast is the key, right? Because MRIs, it's kind of non-invasive, but when you inject the contrast into the body, it becomes an invasive procedure. Mm -hmm. And now to think it's in the water. So is there any precautions that we could take? Like I drink my tap water, but should I be buying the bottled spring water again? Well, I don't think we know. And there is, there are people and I'm not one of them because I drink water from my cabin that's, you know, coming out of the ground. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do about the environmental part of it. I do have friends who are very passionate about that and who who have gadolinium toxicity and they're, you know, they're working with environmentalists and they're trying to get studies done and all of that. And I think that's really what all we're asking is that as survivors and people who are living with this day to day, we just want, we want your attention, people. We want your attention. We want to help. We want to be part of the cure. We want to be part of the solution. And and we're suffering. I mean, sometimes we don't get out of bed for two or three days at a time and we can't hold jobs and our families no longer talk to us or believe us or they shame us and say, well, you look fine. You look better than I've seen you look in months. You know, I hear that all the time. You look great, Debbie. Well, I'm doing a great job then because I'm hiding, right? I'm hiding behind the pain. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so compared to your health before you found out that you had gadolinium toxicity, how is your health now? So I have a laundry list of symptoms and some diagnoses. Last year, I made the decision not to chase symptoms anymore. Um, I, I did chelation. We were talking a little bit about chelation. So I did DDPA, calcium, zinc, two day back to back. And I, because of the pain levels that I was in and because of the proximity, I have to travel an hour and a half by plane or nine hours by car to go to my neurologist in Seattle from Idaho to actually get the treatment. I wasn't able to do back to back to back to back, right? So I spread it out over a period of over a year, I did the 12 treatments. At one point, every time I would do a treatment, I would get new symptoms and they would be scary and I would be worried and I would panic and I was sure I was gonna die, even though my neurologist has always assured me, this isn't gonna kill you, you're not gonna feel great, you don't feel great, but it's not gonna kill you. And uh, she actually, um, has had an, had MRIs with contrast. And so she can relate, but she doesn't really have any symptoms. And so I'm happy for her. 
I have another friend in town that he has migraines and he's had five different MRIs with contrast and he doesn't have any symptoms. So you just don't know. And it's kind of like we all talk about it. It's like the chicken and egg thing, right? And so you get lots of new autoimmune diagnoses. And I, I have this laundry list of diagnoses and symptoms. I have small fiber neuropathy and small fiber neuropathy. That's probably why I couldn't eat is because it burnt all the small fibers from my esophagus to my bowel. It burnt all those small fibers and the small fibers in your body, the small fiber neuropathy. Um, my neurologist tells me the small fibers are the tiniest fibers, but they're also the most painful fibers that you are nerves that you have in your body. They're nerves. They're not fibers. They're nerves. So, that explained why I was in so much pain. To be honest, what helped me the most with that pain and what I, what I give credit to being able to go back to eating is CBD oil. And I worked with a doctor that my neurologist sent me to in Seattle and, you know, and found the best grade CBD oil. I'm not a fan of THC, even though a lot of people use THC to help them sleep and whatever marijuana, THC, CBD, all those things are great. They're, they have a purpose. And in Idaho, THC is illegal, so you can't use it. Um, a lot of, as we know, it's a big thing across the country. A lot of states are using THC and a lot of people are getting relief from that for the pain symptoms, more so than from pharmaceutical drugs, which don't touch it, right? And I, I can attest that I've tried five, five or six different pharmaceutical drugs to help drown out the pain and it doesn't touch them. The CBD has helped with the pain, at least so I can function. So my pain level on a good day is an eight. Well, that's really high. It's high, but the body's amazing. Um, you know, my friends say, oh, you look great, da, 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 da. And I'm always like, yeah, the body's pretty amazing how we can recover. I don't know if it's recover, but how your body accommodates accommodates pain it accommodates um, toxins and and one thing that I always caution or I I'm not a doctor I don't give medical advice I mean I tell people that right out of the box when they call me I'm not a doctor I'm not I'm I'm not giving medical advice I'm a gadolidium survivor and a an advocate to help other people but we're on our own we have to figure this out so if other folks who are listening are like, hmm, you know, maybe that's what's going on with me, where can they find more information or how can they connect with you on Twitter? Yeah, so I have a Facebook page called Living with Gadolidium. There's a really good website, a friend, call it, well, friend, I, I say friends because it seems like we're such a small family of uh, people, even though there's thousands and thousands of us. There's a website called mridie.com, M-R-I-D-Y-E.com. Um, that's a very good site. I think the very first thing I always send to people when I, I'm connecting with them and they're questioning whether it could be gadolinium is um, there's a document you can search that's called uh, Get Educated Gadolinium. And it's out there and it's really, it gives the history. It talks about NSF. It talks about people with normal kidneys. It talks about the FDA and big black box warning. And, you know, so it kind of gives you an overview and it kind of gives you just that enough information that you can say, oh, maybe I need to research this more. 
maybe I am impacted more than I thought or my loved one is or whatever. Or if, even if you're considering having an MRI with contrast and your doctor said, you, you know, I want to do an MRI with contrast, um, it's a good document to read and so that you know what questions to go and ask. So I always tell people, ask critical questions. It's your body. You only get one go at this. Um, be aware. Know what you're putting in your body. I didn't know. No one asked me. No one asked me for my consent. And you go through a lot of grief and grieving is part of the process, right? But it changes your life. It changes your DNA. Every cell in your body is changed by an injection of, of gadolinium. So wow. whether you know it or not. Oh, that's, that's very frightening and sobering. If you, let's blue sky this. So if you had total control over the healthcare system and how uh, MRIs with contrast with gadolinium were uh, used uh, in a safe way, what would that look like? I think, um, you know, a lot of people, it's an outpatient procedure. MRIs are an outpatient procedure. You go and you get in the machine and you're there an hour or so, and then you go home and you're done, right? In a perfect world, um, we've talked about it and we've said, well, maybe if you were attached to an IV with fluids and you were, because not everyone drinks water. I mean, my husband doesn't drink water unless I like hand it to him to drink. So I just know that people's bodies are dehydrated. And so hydration is key, right? And so if we have, if you were hooked up to an IV prior to the procedure and you were getting fluids, it might help it flush it out faster, quicker, sooner, more complete before it has a chance to decouple from the ligand, which is the protective part of that's protecting them, you know. So I, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of changing that procedure. I, and then chelation right afterwards, chelation, you know, and, and there's Dr. Salmalka is really the leading guy when it comes to chelation. And he's, he's written protocols. He has a blog. He's, um, he has a couple chelation centers and he treats actively. Um, and he's also gathering research, even though the, the trial I was in got canceled, he is gathering that data from my neurologist who treats people with chelation so that he can learn, right? So we're still all learning from it. And that's where the rub comes is because people are like, well, everyone's different and everybody reacts different to this. And so I know I'm repeating myself, but that makes sense, right? It's like the chicken and the egg. And, and how, did we, how did we become a world of relying on pharmaceutical drugs? And I have a whole nother book on connecting the dots called Connecting the Dots. And it's about pharmaceutical drugs and what purpose do they serve and why and, and why you need to take them or don't need to take them and how do they help or not help and you know what can you do? And, and I often think, well, wouldn't it be nice if we put as much energy up front to being healthy as we do to running to the doctor for that magical pill to fix us? Um, so it's changed my life for sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I think uh, I think it's probably changed my life. I'm definitely, if I if they ask me to have an MRI with a contrast, I'm definitely going to be thinking about it before I consent to that, just based and on there's lots, And there's lots of studies out there. So my Living with Gadolidium page 
um, I post every study I come across, you know, and Dr. Wagner and Dr. Selmalka and lots of doctors have studies out there. You know, it, we know it causes multiple, multiple myeloma, it causes inflammation, it causes connective tissue disorders. It, I mean, I lost my teeth, my front teeth, I lost my front teeth because of it. it I think of gadolidium as uh, this little uh, Pac-Man, the old game Pac-Man, is just munching up the calcium because it, it gadolidium mimics calcium in the body. So as it's mimicking the calcium, then the calcium is not doing what it needs to do. So the bones are changing, the tissues. I mean, our body needs calcium and relies on calcium. And if, if gadolidium's mimicking calcium in your body and doing damage rather than good, you know, you see lots of different things. And there are lots of studies to prove this the damages and the diseases and the, so yes, I caution people, get educated, be aware, learn, ask critical questions, ask the question, is this contract going to change how you will treat my diagnosis? And if the answer is no, then don't have the contrast. And I get it. I had a pancreas, you know, pancreas is a little tiny, organ hidden behind the stomach. It's hard to see. It's hard to get to. You can't, you know, it's, I get why they wanted to do it. And, and my doctor who sent me to the pain management specialist, he said, we fixed your pancreas. That was the goal. You came to us for your pancreas. We fixed that. We're sorry that you're suffering side effects of possibly of gadolidium. We can't do anything more to help you. So we're going to send you to a pain management specialist. And, and what they did was they they did three celiac plexus blocks for the ganglia, ganglia nerve, ganglia, forgot what it's called, sorry. Um, but anyway, it was supposed to help deaden the nerves and make the pain go away. Well, it didn't even touch it, you know, three didn't even touch it. And what's amazing for my story and, and why I'm even speaking today about this is because during my third procedure for the celiac plexus blocks, I laid down on the table, you have to be put to sleep, lay down on the table and I, I just said a little prayer and I just said, God, if I'm not gonna get well and the pain's not gonna go away, please take me home. <sighs> Sorry, I'm kind of emotional. Um, so I just said that prayer and at that point, um, four angels laid their hands on my head and they said, don't worry, Debbie, we're here with you and everything is going to be fine. At that point, I left my body. I went up in the corner and I looked down at my body while they were doing this third procedure, putting these long needles into my body full of something that was to kill and deaden the nerves. So while that's going on and I'm telling them, um, by the way, that really hurts. Could you move the needle over to the left a little bit? You're in the wrong spot, blah, blah, blah. And I'm kind of directing the procedure as I sit in the corner of this room. And I'm also having a conversation at the same time with God. And I'm saying, God, please take me home. I'm, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this. And, and he said, he said, um, no, you have a purpose. And I said, no, I don't. I've never had a purpose for my life ever. I don't. And I just need to come home. I need you to wrap your loving arms around me and take me home, please. I can't do it. And he said, I'm gonna send you back. I want you to listen to my whispers. 
and you have a purpose. And if you listen to my whispers, you have the opportunity to help many. And then I woke up. Well, that was kind of a weird experience, right? Not one that you, you know, not one that I certainly expected. So I wondered for a couple of weeks, I wondered, did that really happen? You know, is that really what happened? Did I really talk to God? Did God really send me back? Do I have a purpose? What is the purpose? And I started questioning, right? And, and I so much questioned it that I called and I said, could I speak to the nurse that was in the procedure room the day that I had my last celiac plexus block? And she got on the phone and I said, you're going to think this is just so bizarre, but I have a question. And so I told her, I said, did I talk to you through the procedure? And did I ask you to move the needle over to the left? And da, 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 da. And she's like, yep, that's exactly what happened. And so for me, that was confirmation that this was real. And this really did happen to me and that I needed to listen to the whispers. And so from that point on, it's become it's more than a passion. It's, it's become a driving force in my life so much that it's ruined relationships in my life. Um, it's hard. Gadolinium's hard. There's lots of people, lots of people have lost their marriages. Lots of people have, their children don't speak to them. There's people out there who are living in cars, you know, because they've lost their houses. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their income. They have no insurance. There's no cure. There's no antidote. And so for whatever reason, that little chat I had in the corner with God, and he said, yeah, you have a purpose and you can help a lot of people listen to the whispers. I'm trying to be a faithful servant of the Lord. And I'm not a religious person. I'm not. But I am spiritual. I do believe that there is something higher power driving me to do this and share the message and not my message, not my story, but on behalf of all the people I've met who are incredible people, incredible people who are suffering. And then all the people who have been impacted and haven't connected the dots yet and are suffering, right? They deserve help. And if you watch the FDA, the member of the FDA board and she votes no, and she says a life ruined is a life ruined, she was spot on. She, she had wisdom in that meeting when they changed the wording on the black box warning. But they haven't done anything since. I mean, sure, they, they say they're doing stuff and they say there are things going on, but they're not talking to any of us and we're begging for them to talk to us. We're begging, literally. And one of the early people who has since passed was Marcy Jacobs or it might be Jacob or Jacobs. I never met her really, but I was in her support group for a long time. After she passed, her daughter kept the support group open. And that room is full of people. And, and the, I would just say one final thing about this is that the lawsuit that was filed by the Norrises, their heart was in the right place and everything, but thousands and thousands of people took the lead and I didn't file a lawsuit but thousands I don't know how many thousands of people filed a lawsuit it was tried last year I think in an Arizona court and it was thrown out not the Norris's case but on behalf of of a group of vic of survivors and victims um and that was thrown out of court there's a 
I, I have the court records, I've read them, it's, you know, 80 pages, it's a long document. I don't know, the only thing I can say is when, when all those people reached out and got lawyers, the lawyers put gag orders on them. So they weren't allowed to talk about gadolinium. They weren't allowed to talk about their symptoms or their suffering or anything. They weren't, there was a gag order. You can't talk about it now because you have a lawyer and we're working on your behalf and we're collecting your medical records and we're doing all this and getting ready for courts. Well, in some regards, I feel like that was an injustice because I met so many people who wanted to talk about it, who wanted help, but they, they couldn't because they're like, I'm under a gag order. And I'm like, well, that's not going to help us. It's really not going to help us. And now with the case that was thrown out of court in Arizona, and then the Norris's, um, the Norris's public information that was made public was, it was a mutual decision not to go forward with the lawsuit. Everybody paid their own lawyers. There was no money exchanged. There was nothing done for that. Gina Norris is still a huge advocate for gadolinium survivors. She's a doll. Um, she's done great work to help all of us. But for whatever reason, their case didn't go forward. She spent $2 million trying to get well. We don't, most people don't have $2 million laying around to get well. My out-of-pocket expense the first year was $35,000. You save money your whole life to retire and do fun things with your family. and and now you're, you know, traveling from doctor to doctor and treatment to treatment. And, and so when I went on palliative care, that was my choice. And that was a thing I did instead of chasing symptoms. So I, I now have reached back out to my neurologist. I haven't seen her in about almost a year or six months or nine months or something. Um, but they're testing me for a brain tumor. I have double vision. Um, that's probably, it's besides the bone pain, the double vision, and I have ocular hallucinations, which is a kind of a funny thing. You see things that aren't there. Like you see something in your peripheral vision run by, you're like, what the heck was that? And it's not really there and it's not real. It's a hallucination. So, so I did tell my husband, I'm going to go back to Dr. Ruhoy and just see what this is all about. I'm not going to treat it. You know, and he's like, well, why would you even do the test if you're not going to treat it? And I'm like, well, at least I'll know and they'll know and it will help other people, hopefully. So. Wow. So the gadolinium gifting keeps on coming. Yeah, it's a gift that keeps on coming. Yeah, it wow. does. Well, thank you, Debbie, for sharing your story, but also for all of the advocacy and awareness work you're doing Apparently, you do have a meaning in your time left here on Earth. Yes, I do. And I'm very blessed. And I'm very grateful that you reached out to me after, I guess, you saw my message on Twitter that I was looking for journalists who would, who would report our stories and share our awareness and help us get the word out. And I would just say, if you're, if you're a patient whose doctor is suggesting you have an MRI with contrast, ask the critical questions new make sure you know what you're getting yourself in for and ask ask what they can do can they do ivs can they do chelation right afterwards what can they do to help you get the get the gadolinium out of your body as quickly as possible because i think getting it out even though chelation has added to my list of symptoms and diagnoses 
I'm still better off because of it, because I have less in my system. I do believe that. Well, that is priceless information that you're sharing there. It'll be impacting many, many people's lives. Thank you for doing that, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you for this interview. I'm very grateful. Well, I for one will think twice before consenting to another MRI with contrast. The last thing my already weakened body needs is toxic metals. What about you? Have you changed your approach to having an MRI with contrast? You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all of the other major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. If you need the support of an experienced counselor, especially around dealing with medical error or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others. <laughs>